Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Out of Character with Jupiter Sanders. I am Jupiter Sanders and today I'm super excited because we all have gone to gaming conventions. I'm, I'm pretty sure most of us have gone to gaming conventions and we go and, and we have fun and we enjoy it. But how many of us actually think about what went on behind the scenes to actually put that whole thing on? And today I, I have two organizers from the Winter War Gaming Convention that I recently attended out in Champaign, Illinois. And... I have Royce and Susan here who have graciously accepted an invitation to be on to kind of talk about what goes on when we're putting on a con. So thank you. Hello. Hi, how's it going? Good. So Winter War Gaming Convention, would you guys like to just kind of let everybody know listening just what that is as, as you guys see it? I mean, what kind of con is Winter War? It is a gaming convention. Gaming, gaming, gaming. As my husband used to say, and some of the organizers used to say in the past, this is a game, this is a gaming convention where you just game, just play your games. We have miniatures, historical. It's like getting together with 400 of your closest friends for just a weekend of playing games. And your favorite games, trying out new games, playing old favorites, trying something you've never tried before, especially like some of those expensive board games out there. You can try it mm -hmm. out before you put the money down for it and decide you didn't like it. So it's a great way to experiment with different game systems. We have role-playing, you know, the historical miniatures. The miniatures guys are always willing to teach somebody their miniatures games. They love to teach the miniatures games. My son started off playing when he was about seven years old. He did his first Winter War and played miniatures with the guys all weekend. Hmm. Okay. Royce, do you have any more, anything else to add to that? or? I mean, not really. It's like you said, Winter War is all about gaming. It's, you know, the... Uh, just playing games, honestly. Mm -hmm. That's okay. really what it comes down to. Yeah. <laughs> and how long has the Winter War Gaming Convention been happening? I mean, this is a, a long running. One. Yes, it is the longest contiguously running Midwestern gaming convention. This was our 47th game convention. We have never missed a year. Now, when you say continuous, meaning it's been in the contiguous. same place. Not continuous, contiguous. Okay. There's there's no missing years. Some okay. gaming conventions have been around longer, but they may have a year or two here or there that they missed either mm -hmm. because they lost their venue, there was mm -hmm. a blow up amongst the board running the game, various mm -hmm. reasons. Okay. We have always run. Always run. Okay. Have you always been located in Champaign, Illinois? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Good. Well, Urbana, it's basically, it yeah. started off on the U of I campus. So I think technically where the gaming convention was originally held was in the Urbana half of, of the U of I campus. Uh, mm -hmm. But it's been Champaign-Urbana the whole time. Okay. All right. And and that's going to bring up a question for me later on, the, the U of I aspect. But so how did this evolve? Did just a group of, of like-minded individuals just say, hey, let's just get together and do this and... What did it start with the first year as far as attendees? Royce and I were not amongst them at that point. No. It started in 1973. And to be honest, I was still in grade school in 1973 <laughs> and nowhere close to this location. But what it was, was a group of gentlemen who gamed it together on the U of I campus as students, as graduate students said, hey, let's put together a little gaming convention. And I think they told me their first few winter wars were under a hundred people and it was just people there on campus 
or people that they had known maybe who graduated and came back to play games for the weekend. We have people who graduated from U of I in the 70s and 80s who came to Winter War while they were students still come back year after year. Huh. No, and so what is the attendee attendance now? What was this past one? Do you guys have a count? Uh, a little over 400. And, yeah, so we generally run on average ever since I've been involved, which has been about 15 years now, between 400 to 450. Uh, we've had some years where we've gone over. We've had a couple years where we've been a little under. But on average, it runs about 400 to 450. Wow. It's about 420 this year was our final count. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it just started, it, it started something small and it's just grown over the years. So when I attended, I got the distinct feeling that most everybody there knew everybody else. It that felt very, very close. Yeah. Yep. It felt close knit. Yeah. The whole thing about the, you know, getting together with about 400 of your closest friends is generally about right. Most of the people who are our long-term attendees have been attending year after year after year for decades, or they're people who started coming with their parents and have now grown into it and now are bringing their kids into the uh, convention. So it really is very much a people who have seen each other a lot over the years. So when you talk about, you know, people knowing each other, most of our attendees, if not all of them, like Susan can attest to this because she's got a great memory. We know most of them by name on site when they show up. We know what kind of games they're going to play. We know, you know, what sorts of things they're going to be looking for in the auction. We know that what are their preferences? Where do they like to be? What kind of food do they like to eat? Like, it really gets very personal when you've known this number of people coming this many years. So if you come to Winter War once and you come back year two, you'll recognize some people. You come back year three, you'll recognize more people. By the time you've been there five years, you're pretty much one of the family at that point. <laughs> You know, it really is a family. There are people, these are people I only see once a year and working the registration desk, I see everyone at least at one point. And my son has grown up coming to the con. These people have known my son, watched him grow up. Like Roy said, there are people who bring, brought their children or came as children and now bringing their children. And interacting with people who are now adults and parents that I remember being the 10-year-old kid coming with their parents to the con is an interesting thing to see. And it's a great sign of the health of our hobby. You know, seeing Mm -hmm. young people coming to the con means the hobby is going to continue. You talk to the miniatures guys, they worry because, you know, games come and go out of favor or out of popularity. And the whole idea of an entire gaming subset disappearing because nobody's interested in it worries some of the older gamers. So they love seeing the younger people, especially if they're interested in learning what they do. Mm-hmm. You get to know their uh, their health issues. You know, we talk, how was this? You know, people have lost their jobs and talked, you know, to people there at the con. You know, uh, they share their miseries. They share their happiness. It, it really is a great big group of family. You may only see them once a year, but it's family. Mm-hmm. So it seems like it's grown, but it, it's not grown so big that you guys are disconnected. You're still able to remember everybody and, and know everybody. And so, so then I, I guess it's safe to say you guys really know who the target audience is. You know who your attendees are. You know what they like. You know what they don't like. So how does that affect introducing new things into the con? Or are you guys completely hands off on that and somebody else introduces it? 
into the company. No, we've introduced stuff over the years. The Kudo Plays that was there on Sunday was something my husband helped start five to eight years ago. I, it, I think this may have been its eighth time. It's a group of local game designers that needed a place to, to have people play test their games and give them, you know, critiques, criticism, kudos for what they're doing right so that they can try to get a game published. My husband, when he was con chairman, we had LARP. When LARP hit really big, we had a couple of LARP groups. For those who don't know what that is, that's live action role playing. We had a couple of big LARP groups that met for several years that brought their game to the con and allowed con attendees to participate. We had a Magic the Gathering tournament off and on over the years. When Magic hit really big, we had Magic tournaments for several years. Hero clicks. Oh, help me out, Royce. What's the big aim system that everybody uh, not... Um, Oh, shoot. <laughs> Are you talking about HeroScape? The one with the, the minis with the hexes? What was it that the, the guys that would do the, that were writers for GW, GDW, the big game system? Oh, Warhammer? Warhammer. There we go. We used to have Warhammer tournaments. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've had War Machine tournaments. Okay. Uh, Mage Wars, we've had now for three years, we've had a Mage Wars tournament. So one year, for a few years, we had a gentleman who had the Artemis computer gaming system where you pretend to be on the bridge of a starship. Everybody's yes. a different station. And we had mm -hmm. that at Winter War. So we're always willing to experiment with new stuff. If it doesn't work, we don't do it. If it keeps working, we do it. Hmm. Royce, anything to add? I mean, not really. Winter War, like she said, has been through a lot of permutations over the years, just through the types of things that we offer. I mean, seven, eight years ago, we didn't have very much in the way of really a lot of role-playing outside of some D&D. &D. And over the years, that's evolved. So we've gone from being a mostly miniatures-based con to now about, you know, half role-playing games, a quarter miniatures, and a quarter board games. So as the trends have sort of shifted throughout the, the gaming industry, Winter War has kind of picked up on that trend. Because, you know, one of the things that we are, you know, that I, that I like to make clear about gaming conventions in general and specifically Winter War is we're not we're not here to dictate what people play. Right. We are here to facilitate people having fun and to give people a venue for exploring their their hobbies and their interests and maybe learning something new or playing an old favorite or whatever. So whatever people want to run is what we will facilitate. So, you know, over the years, it's just following the trends that people want to continue with. Oh, no, that's that's great. And like I said, I, I saw I mean, I I have the program uh, book sitting in front of me here. You guys had a, a lot of RPG games as well as miniature games. There there was a good mix and, and there were even board games that that I saw happening. So it is a good mix. But I noticed that there was a lack of like seminars, workshops that you see at large, large cons. Right. So there's a there's a great reason for that. There's a philosophy of that, and it goes back years ago. This gaming convention never had seminars or workshops. It's always been about the games. You actually, when you came to Winter War in the early days, you could sit down and play a miniatures game with Frank Chadwick, one of the major designers from GDW. You could sit down and play Traveler with Mark Miller. I mean, these are people who came to run their games there because they wanted to get input on the games. They didn't want, we don't do guests because we keep our budget low. We want to make sure we can continue to run Winter War. And the minute you start getting into guests and the cost of guests and their housing and stuff, you start eating into what the money can be spent on. 
-hmm. and um, we try to keep our costs down. In fact, Winter War has not raised the fees for attending our convention in over 20 years. The way we do that is we don't do guests. My husband was really big on that. And the gentlemen who organized the convention originally were really big on not doing that kind of thing. They just wanted a gaming convention. Right. And along those some lines for, I mean, you're talking about seminars and panels and that sort of thing. Another part of it is we just don't have the space or the resources for it. We run our convention winter war on a very strict schedule. So we're looking at four hour blocks of, you know, you have four hours of gaming, an hour break, four hours of gaming, an hour break, you know, that sort of thing. So when we're looking at, you know, getting as much gaming as we can, our venue, first of all, doesn't really have a great space in which that, you know, to hold that sort of event. We don't really have a seminar room or a panel room that we could put somebody in even if they wanted to. But we also, you know, we, we feel like it would be somewhat of a disservice to people who wanted to play games and go to seminars because a seminar is not going to last four hours. That's a little unreasonable to ask someone to do. So what you'd end up with is people going and watching a seminar for an hour, maybe an hour and a half to two hours, and then have two hours where everybody else is still playing games and they really have nothing else to do except sort of wander around or, you know, find something to occupy their time. So it's just, you know, we want to keep very much focused at Winter War on the games themselves, the, the playing games, the having fun with people. Uh, and if someone wants to do a four hour um, and like if they're if they want to run a game but also talk about things while they're running a game, that's fine. But we do want to keep the focus on the gaming at the con. Okay. We have had people who have bought a vendor space for the weekend. Like a few years ago, Mark Miller was, you know, getting back in with Writing Traveler and was publishing stuff. And he had a booth at Winter War so he could sell some of the older Traveler role-playing books and to meet with people while he was at his vendor booth. It was very informal. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it makes sense. It seems it's, seems to me that the uh, Winmore has a very distinct, and Royce and I uh, talked about this a little bit before we started recording, it, they know what they want to be. They've clearly defined it. And, and you guys very much own it. We're, we're, we're here to game. We're here to play games. Exactly. Those games may vary from year to year, depending on what's popular and what's not. But when you go to Winter War, you are there to play games. That's pretty much the, the total experience. Fair? I would say we yep. do have people who pay for their daily badge and come Saturday for the auction only to do auction and vendors. Um, oh and they're a minority, but uh -huh. they're a minority, but they come and it's interesting. And they know that the auction will always be good every year. I, the auction at Winter War was the first gaming convention auction I've ever attended. Really? Thoroughly enjoyed it. <laughs> thought everything went way too cheap and Royce and I have the same taste. <laughs> no, did I outbid you on some stuff? No, no, no. I didn't bid on anything, but everything you uh, bid on, I was like, man, if I was bidding right now, I'd be bidding on that. <laughs> Royce likes what I like. Oh, it's well, a good thing I'm not bidding. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you talk about everything going cheap. There are, if not you go cheap. to- They went for too little, like not cheap. I mean, yeah. like, I thought they, I was like, what do you mean that's only $15? So, <laughs> I mean, the idea behind most of this is people who have large game collections, mm -hmm. stuff that they just don't get to play anymore or lost interest in or whatever the case may be, they just want to get rid of it. And again, it's a matter of everybody at Winter War is friends. 
family, that kind of thing. So when they're bringing this in, they know that the people who are going to be buying it are people who are going to get some enjoyment out of it on some level. So if it sells for, you know, half of what they might be able to get if they tried to sell it somewhere else, usually people are okay with that. I don't think we've ever had anybody get upset about how little something went for. I mean, because most of the people come in and they choose what the starting bid is. So mm-hmm. all of those starting bids of a dollar were chosen by the people who put that item in the auction. They said, I pay 50 cents to put this item in. It'll start at five, you know, a dollar or $5 or whatever it might have been. Mm-hmm. And that's, so they get to choose that. So clearly they're not in it for, you know, trying to get a huge amount of money out of it. You go to Gen Con or Origins or even Winter War and they have these big collector's auctions where, you know, they're throwing out first edition D&D box sets or, you know, old uh, copies of Dungeon Magazine or, mm-hmm. you know, Unspeakable Oats number two and this stuff's going <laughs> for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars. But that's not really, you know, what Winter War is about. The Winter War auction is, hey, I've got some stuff I could get rid of. Maybe I make a couple bucks on it. And that'll buy me a drink over at the concession bar. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I know that whoever's getting it, I probably know that person and I know they're going to get some enjoyment out of it. The other thing is, is we we charge 50 cents an item. Some of the bigger cons charge a commission. They get a percentage Mm -hmm. of how much it goes for. So they want the prices to go up. And I've had people stop at the desk and say, Susan, my stuff didn't sell. And they'll show me and I'm like, well, you've got a $10 starting price. The people here at Winter War are not going to start a bidding war at $10. You start at mm-hmm. a buck and you'll get people bidding on it. And you'll get up to 10 bucks. You know, don't put on there what you're wanting. Put on there what you know will get them starting on it. Mm-hmm. So I was I was curious as I sat in the uh, audience at the auction, because I, I, I know Winter War Gaming Convention is set up as a nonprofit, which I would like to get into after this. But... I had thought, well, these people must donate the games and they're auctioning it off and all this money goes to Winter War. But I'm hearing that that isn't the case. Oh, uh, It no. is not. The, <laughs> so when you auction something off at Winter War, mm-hmm. you get the money minus the 50 cent fee. So we're only getting 50 cents of the fee and that's, the, that's what you pay to just have the item in. If your item doesn't sell, you don't. We don't charge you the fifty cents because we never didn't put in the work to actually. You know, uh, Royce, what's wrong there, Royce? They pay the fifty cents up front. <laughs> do they? I thought I yeah. thought Al reimbursed them if the item didn't actually go and, up. And if Al chooses to do that, he's the treasurer. Ah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> he gets to decide later. <laughs> uh, fair enough. But yeah, I mean, it's only fifty cents to put the item in, yeah. and we keep that. But again, oh. the auction is mostly for the people. If your item sells, you get that money. Have you had anybody go, ah, just keep it. I'll just donate it to you guys? A few times if it only went for like a dollar or two dollars. And, okay. you know, we were busy at the time or they had somewhere to be. So hmm. another interesting thing was an item didn't get any bids. And the person, you know, the people pick up their items later on that did not sell. And somebody walked up to him and said, hey, I saw that item and I'm willing to pay you this much for it. So you'll have these kind of deals going on after people have settled <laughs> up with the convention staff. And and it's interesting because people see or they knew there was something in the auction, but like we didn't get to everything this year in our auction because we had so much. So people get that stuff back and maybe Al does refund them the 50 cents. I I don't run that part of the con, so I don't I can't speak mm-hmm. on that. So um, I just run the registration desk. If it came up, but it didn't sell, we keep the money. I think if it just doesn't come up at all, you know, there Al has been willing to to pay back because. 
you know, if it's if it comes up for sale and nobody bids on it, that's one thing. We put in the effort to put it out there, so that's fine. But if it just never made it to the auction table, I think he does actually give them the 50 cents back because it never actually went up and nobody had a chance to buy it. I can believe that because that's the kind of person Alan is. Yep. Good. No, like I said, I, I like it was the first time I'd ever attended an auction at a gaming convention and I loved it. I'm a, a huge Shadowrun cyberpunk fan as well as a huge Cthulhu fan. So when any of those items came up, I was like, what's that? Did you play any of the Cthulhu games? I did not play any games at Winter War. Since it was my first time attending, I wanted to experience what was going on and get my bearings. That's that's just how I how I work. I understand. Yeah. What did you have last year? Uh, last year, we had a huge selection of really obscure, old Call of Cthulhu-based board games that <laughs> went up for an auction, and I got outbid on every single one of them. <laughs> God. But it was stuff that I'd never <laughs> even heard of before. Like there was, it was kind of like uh, the old Sherlock Holmes consulting detective game, but with Cthulhu themes in it from the either the late seventies or early eighties that went up. I think there was a Cthulhu themed board game from the sixties that went up. There were a few other things like like stuff that I just never even knew existed, and I got outbid on all of them. So a little disappointed in that, just because I thought they were a novel thing that I you know pick up and play around with. But oh well. Do you guys find that at these smaller cons that, that actually have these auctions or have these these people that are selling these older games that are possibly obscure and you've never seen or heard of before, do you find you, you, you in, encounter that more often? Because I saw games at the auction that I never knew existed. I, I had never heard of them. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what that, what that game is, but it's beautiful in that very vintage box. <laughs> when when I first went to Gen Con, the couple of times I've been to Gen Con, I spent most of my time in the auction watching the auction, watching mm -hmm. what was coming up, what it was going for, and listening to some of the stories on like how to tell like a first edition printing versus a second edition printing of the original AD&D book first edition sets. Uh, it was interesting hearing some of the older guys who were part of TSR talking about how to know the differences between the different books to know which book you were buying. And so I listened in on stuff like that because I found it, I find it interesting to people watching an auction and what people are bidding on or what they buy, you know, what, what's popular, and what's not. So um, I will admit there are tons of games that go through the Winter War Gaming Convention over the years I've been there that I had never heard of until I saw it at Winter War. So because I don't do a lot of the little counter games or the early SPI games that were some of the original games that came out in the 70s or the 60s, you know. Mm hmm. Yeah, and one of the things that actually uh, factors into it as well is Winter War has, on average, largest median age or mean age of attendees of just about any con that I've ever been to, except maybe Gary Con, but even Gary Con demographics-wise than, uh, than Winter War actually is. So what you end up with are a lot of these older guys who have all these really old games from the 60s and 70s, a little earlier, you know, a little later in that that sort of time range where gaming was not huge. So you have all these really old classic war games and, you know, historical battles games and, you know, a few fantasy games and things like that that come up for auction because you have the guys who bought them when they were new and played them forever and, you know, mm -hmm. just either don't have the friends to play them with anymore or have played them to death or just are like, oh, I'm never going to get that game out again. You know, we'll pass that on. And they just have the games 
to to give away. So you go to somewhere like Gen Con or Origins or or Gamehole Con where there are other auctions, but most of the stuff that's coming up for auctions are things that are more collectible in nature. So they're clearly going to be a little bit more uh, recognizable from a name brand perspective. But you also don't have that same level of, you know, just guys who are trying to get rid of games that they've had for 40 years putting stuff up in the auction, right? It's more people mm-hmm. who are putting up, okay, well, I've had this, you know, shrink-wrapped in-box thing for a few years, and, you know, I've, I've got two copies of it now, so I'm going to sell one and try and make a little bit of money back or whatever it happens to be. And it's not it's not the same. It's a much different feel to it. So let's get into actually organizing things. You have Pathfinder Society as part of, of Winter War. You're putting on, like a, like like we mentioned, you, you have Pathfinder games, you have OSR D&D games, you had 5th edition D&D, I believe, you had Call of Cthulhu, you had lots of different miniature games, some that I have never seen or heard of before. Now, you have to schedule all of these games to occur. Again, you've, you've chosen four-hour blocks, as, as, which seems to be the regular con standard operating procedure. Games are done in four-hour blocks. Is that... How difficult does it get to to organize the different rooms with the different tables, with the different games, with the different GMs, and make sure it all works? It really comes down to when are the games being run. So you have, clearly there are sometimes Friday morning games, Sunday afternoon games, even some Saturday morning slots are going to be far less busy than others. So finding mm-hmm. space for everything is not that difficult. It's when you start getting into the really busy hours of the con, the Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening, Friday night, even into Sunday morning occasionally, where we start having a bit of crunch. So the way we sort of organize things is those organizations, the Pathfinder Society and D&D Adventures League type organizations get their own allocated space, which makes it a lot easier for us. So we say, you're going to have this room. You're going to have X number of tables in this room. You can submit what you want within that parameter, and that is what you're going to have. So when we're working with those organizations, it's understood up front what their capacity is to them so that when they're planning what they want to run, they can come back to us and say, okay, you know, I'm running five tables in this slot and six tables in this slot and six tables in this next slot, et cetera, et cetera, down the line, Mm -hmm. so that we don't really have to worry too much about planning for them. When you start looking at all of the other stuff that's coming in, it does become a bit of a juggling act trying to make sure that you have, especially when it comes to the miniatures games and some of the role-playing games, there are, you know, always the special requests of, well, I'd like a room that's quiet, or (laughs) I need a, you know, 18 by 36 table for some huge miniatures game, or, you know, whatever the case may be. So trying Mm -hmm. to accommodate all of those special requests is where it becomes a little bit tricky. Our chairman and event coordinator, Paul, is fantastic when it comes to figuring all of that out. But there are definitely times where we'll get games submitted a little bit later in the cycle than you know we'd like and we just have to go back to them and say hey fantastic we'd love for you to run the game unfortunately we just don't have table space for you at that slot would you mind running it say in the morning slot or would you be more comfortable running it you know the slot after the afternoon slot in the evening or you know try and shuffle things around that way and we really don't actually commit to what our table assignments are going to be until about a month out from the con. So at the end of December is when we really start looking at, you know, what are the table, what what is everything going to be? Where is everything fall? 
and we start making those cuts because we actually end registration and event submission about halfway through January so that we can actually say, okay, this is where this is where things are going to end up being. We kind of know what our capacity is ahead of time because we know how many tables and what the spaces we have available. Now it's just a matter of making sure that we're not going to be running some super loud game right next to a game that wants to be quiet. And we can mm -hmm. allocate the, you know, the quiet rooms to the role-playing games, the Call of Cthulhu's and, and the OSR games that, you know, don't want to be in the same big room as, you know, the people running the Circus Maximus or the really loud sort of miniatures games where people are going to be up moving around the table a lot. So it really just comes down to knowing what the game is about, how the game runs, and just seeing what our space allocation is and making sure to pick the right place for the right people. We've got a fantastic software system that helps us do table allocation by showing, you know, a grid basically of saying, you know, these are the tables that you have available at these times and this is the space uh, that they're requiring. So Paul does a really great job of going in and figuring all of that out for us. And again, sometimes you do have the unfortunate situation where someone wants to run some really big miniatures game on, you know, Friday evening and we're just like, hey, we're full up. Could you run it Saturday? We still want to have you, but, you know, we have to make those tough decisions sometimes. Mm -hmm. What happens when, I mean, have, has the schedule ever gotten thrown off? A GM just can't get it done in the four hours. It runs five or even six. Or is it just automatic? You just go up to them and say, you're done. Sorry, everybody, that paid. <laughs> when Don mm -hmm. was chairman, he would try to, like, if, if the GM, if he, you know, it hits the hour break and they're not done yet. And Don would go up to the judge and say, are you going to be finishing up soon? The, the next person needs to set up. And they'd be like, Don, sorry, we need at least another hour or two. So Don would quickly scramble and see how he could rearrange tables to, you know, because sometimes there's going to be an empty table or two in the next time slot, but maybe it wasn't in that part of the room. So Don would, and Paul even did this this year, we moved some table, we moved some games were supposed to be on M13, but they played on M10 instead, or M8 had too many tables, didn't need that many tables, and M7 needed them. So, you know, you do, you do that kind of stuff. And that's why we have the hour break in between slots, because that's when we find out we need to do some quick moving. Right. And occasionally there are times where, you know, you just don't have anywhere to move them and you just have to say, well, you know, sorry, but... Uh, unfortunately, you kind of got to wrap it up and, you know, get get uh, get moved so that the next people can come in. We try our best to avoid it. Unfortunately, it still happens occasionally. I mean, you, you try to be nice about it when you have to announce it, though, right? You don't just go up and be like, hey, you know, you're out of here. Let's <laughs> let's wrap it up. But, you know, you you, you kind of make the motion to the GM, you know, the like the, the kind of let's let's move it along sort of motion. And you sort of quietly be like, hey, you know, other people have got to set up. So if you can kind of, you know, wrap mm -hmm. it up and I with the 15 years that I've been with the con, I don't think I've ever seen anybody actively get upset about being asked to kind of speed things along. Everybody understands what the slots are. They understand how long games are supposed to run. They understand, you know, how much time they have for tear down and set up. So there's not, I don't think I've ever seen anybody actually come in and be like, well, well, I've got another 30 minutes in my game and I have to finish it out. Like that's never mm -hmm. really happened. Okay. That's good. I mean, as, as a GM, I, I, I would run games on a, on a living community server and I would say my games are four hours and I kept my games to four hours, but I could just imagine in a con, cause I always hear these terrible con stories about con games where like they go off the rails and there's, you know, there's at least one con 
attendee that guy at the table that throws things off and it, things drag out longer than they should. And so I always wonder how does that impact the con organizer's schedule? Because I always like I've never talked to a person about cons and not heard some horror story about a con game. We've been very fortunate. Most of our judges, uh, and, uh, the ones that take the most setup are the historical miniatures mm -hmm. and the, well, the miniatures games. Those take a lot of setup and they take a lot of teardown time. And the nice thing is, is most of those miniatures judges know each other. They know there's a game after them. They know they've got a certain amount of time to tear down and they know that next person's got a certain amount of time to, to set up. And they're pretty courteous with each other. You know, you have your personalities that have conflicts every once in a while. And Don and Paul even know then it's like, oh, these two people don't get along together. So let's put them at opposite ends of the room when they're running <laughs> their games. You know, that kind of thing. You learn wow. those kind of things with a con being mm -hmm. this size. You can, you can learn the personalities to know that. You always hear the con, like, you know, the hard stories from people. But at the end of the day, what you really have to ask yourself is if they're going to a weekend long con and they've got the one negative you know, story, well, that's a whole weekend of fun that they were having, right? Like, mm -hmm. Unless that one negative was just like, nope, we are done. We are leaving. <laughs> this is it, which is rarely the case. But I mean, that does happen, unfortunately. Thankfully, though, again, after having run the same convention with a lot of the same attendees and a lot of the same GMs for 47 years now, like Sue said, you get to know people, you understand how they're going to operate, you understand what their mindset is like. So you you kind of plan around and schedule around that and, you know, try to accommodate it as much as possible. Uh, some of the bigger cons out there, you know, my my comparison is at Game Hole Con, we're a much more active con. We have games going off and on at all kinds of slots. And essentially, in, the, in that case, you really don't get a chance to to get to know the people nearly as personally. But, mm -hmm. you know, you still sometimes have to go over and be like, hey, guys, you've been here for three hours. You got another game that's coming in. You know, you're going to have to wrap it up. and it just, it, it's not fun. It, nobody ever wants to hear, hey, you have to end your game a little early. But mm -hmm. everybody, you know, the, the collective attitude is generally, okay, we're all in this together. I, I would feel bad if the game that I was trying to play was being delayed because somebody else was still playing. So everybody tends to, to be pretty positive about it and not really get upset or anything. So I've always found the, the gaming community to be polite. But again... I cannot have a conversation about a con with a person without them telling me their horror story. Maybe they just like to tell me their horror stories. Who knows? Um, horror so stories, <laughs> but, I mean, I have horror stories sitting at the desk for 27 years, but that's not what I'm going to push to people because you don't want to scare them away from the con. So, yeah, you know, absolutely. You focus on the positive. Yes, you do need to market your con in a certain way, and you don't lead with, with the horror stories. But attendees, do. So yeah. that's why I think a con organizers, it's like, how do you minimize those tales when your attendees come and then they, they leave and who knows what they're saying about your con. So trying to figure out what do you guys do to, to minimize those negative stories that could go out? I mean, or is it just, you just hope for the best? Well, I'll be honest. You know, we have a Facebook page and when there is complaints on the Facebook page, Paul Royce and I are the admins for our Facebook page and we address the person. We say, talk to us privately. You don't want to talk about it here on public Message us privately. Tell us what happened so we can know. So if it's something we can fix, we'll fix it. Mm -hmm. You just have to be proactive about it. You, you can't just let the bad stuff spread without saying, okay, constructively tell us what went wrong so we can try to fix it. 
I mean, we still, after 47 years, there are things that can go wrong. There are mm-hmm. scheduling that can go wrong. There are judges. I mean, we had four judges the night before the convention cancel out on us because of the weather that hit that weekend. Mm-hmm. So we did have extra tables this weekend that we normally wouldn't have had if everybody was there to run stuff. So you you work on fixing those things. And the first thing I did was once I knew those judges weren't coming, I was contacting the players that were signed up for their game saying, look, judge had to cancel. Would you like to get into something else? What can I do to get you into another game? You know, you just, you take it problem at a time and you just try to handle it and you try to work with people and you're honest. I may, I joke that I have the mean voice. People say I have a mean voice, (laughs) but I'm always going to be blunt. I'm going to be truthful and I'm going to be honest with you and do the best I can to get the situation worked out. And I think if you talk to most of our con attendees over the years with us creating pre-registration and Royce's wonderful website, and still there are issues that happen people contact me directly. They know I will get the situation fixed the best I can. So, you know, I just, that's, that's the way I handle things. And Susan touched on something that is really, really important when it comes to to those sorts of situations is honesty and transparency, right? Just communication. Nine times out of 10, any volatile situation or, you know, somebody getting about something or somebody having a bad time or, you know, any sort of negative situation that comes up at a convention can be handled simply by sitting down and talking to somebody and being frank and open and honest with them and saying, here's the situation. You know, you tell me what you're experiencing. I will listen to you. You know, we'll take it in. We'll we'll see what the problem is. We'll do what we can to fix it. If there's nothing we can really do to fix it, then, you know, we're going to be honest about that and be like, okay, here's what we can do. It may not fix your direct problem, but we're going to try and mitigate as much of the the harm and the damage that may be happening as much as we possibly can. So, it, it, it just comes down to to communication. You know, some of the worst terrible con stories that you hear are problems with, you know, either you, you have the problem with the individual who, well, the game was terrible because the GM was bad. And there's not much a con can do about that except take that feedback and consider it for the next year when that uh, GM may be, you know, signing up for games. And if we get a bunch of feedback about a GM, then it's, you know, clearly there's a problem. But if it's not the GM and it's actually something that happened at the con, most of the times, the reason it's a horrible con story is because there was no communication. There was no clarity. There was no transparency. There was no, you know, back and forth. It was just, you know, the con saying, well, that's just the way it is or, you know, not taking somebody else's viewpoints and everything into into account. It's it really just comes down to, you know, as long as you're treating the people who are coming to you with complaints like their complaints are important and, and that they're valid and you have that frank and open conversation about it. People generally go away feeling, even even if their problem wasn't immediately resolved or, you know, didn't resolve in, in entirely in their favor, the fact that you're having that conversation and you're not just brushing it off or saying, you know, you have to deal with it makes them feel a lot better and makes it so that it doesn't feel quite as bad if it's something that you can't handle. And of course, if it's something that you can handle and you can, you know, quickly jump on it and just deal with it instead of trying to push it off, then, you know, that's so much the better. Like everybody comes out on top on that. Mm-hmm. Here, I'm going to sound a little bit like a grognard for a moment. Social media has allowed people to get to the point of where they complain about stuff, but they never actually talk to the people who could do something about it. They want to go out and complain about it, and they generate this, I call it the, me, I don't want to say Me Too movement because that brings up another movement, but it's that the hop on the bandwagon. Oh, they're complaining about this. Well, let's everybody hop on that bandwagon and complain mm-hmm. about the same thing. And the first thing I will say to someone is, did you go to that person and talk to them? Because I deal with this in my personal life 
in the job I'm in, I you, mm-hmm. you deal with a lot of social media feedback on it. And half the time, the people never once went to the organizer or went to the person that could actually do something about it to do something about it. They didn't even know it was a problem because no one ever talked to them. So if I could say anything to your audiences is if you're having a bad con moment, find the con chairman, find a con staff member, pull them aside and tell them, I need to talk to you about something serious about a problem with your con. And if the first person blows you off, go to another con organizer mm-hmm. because someone on that con staff wants to hear that, wants to know how to make their con better. Mm-hmm. No, and, and I agree. It is it, it is very important for attendees to actually give feedback, but an, an important word you used earlier was constructive. Like it, right. it has to be constructive feedback. Like. You can't just complain because, you know, I didn't get the the seat I wanted at the table. Somebody else took it before I got there. I mean, it has to be like, come on, it has to be like really constructive, not just a, a complaint. And I, 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 I too would encourage anybody if they have any issues, go give that feedback. I, I've done it where I've had a good experience at a table. I've gone back. And, and said, hey, I was just at this event. I thought it was great. I thought the, the person handled everything well. You know, and I, it's important to give the good feedback too. Isn't, isn't it nice to hear the good feedback too, what you did right? Honestly, on Sundays, a lot of what I see Sundays as people are leaving, they come up to tell us a majority of our con attendees or a lot of the raiders. Yet again, another great con, Susan. Um, thanks for <laughs> putting this on. Thanks for all the work you and your staff, the staff do. You know, we love coming to this con. You know, it, it's good to hear that. We do want to hear the complaints. We do want to know the things that went wrong. And there's been some issues over the last few years that we've dealt with out of the public eye that I was approached privately because I'm a woman there was mm-hmm. some issues that a couple of women had mm-hmm. and and i said and one of the guys was complaining who was dating one of the women i said have them message me have them contact me i mm-hmm. will make sure it doesn't get ignored you know and mm-hmm. and so we worked with that and and you i went to the rest of the board and said we had this happen i'm not sure the particulars but this is what happened and we need to make sure something like this doesn't happen again so, you know, those kind of things happen. I know we're getting close to the end of our, I don't know if this is an hour or not. You want to talk about the nonprofit and how the con got started. So if, if Royce, if you don't mind me doing this, I'll just throw in like how the con began as a U of I and, and moved to where it is now. Originally, the group of guys who formed Winter War was, there was a student organization type thing. They registered as a student organization and the, it was the Conflict Simulation Society was what they called it as their student organization. And the Conflict Simulation Society ran Winter War. It ran Winter War the first 20 years and actually into the years we went off campus. But the first 20 years were on campus. And then the convention organizers ran into problems where the university was going to start charging them to use the space, was not going to let them plan it. Like right now, we've already got the dates for next year. When we were on campus, we were not able to plan out more than 60 days ahead of time. And if something came up that was more important on campus, according to university administration, they would cancel us. They told us they could. Mm. So there was no way to guarantee if we're planning this kind of thing of having a guarantee that we can actually run it. And the 
at that time, Alan, who's our treasurer now, was the con chairman. And after running it 20 years, he's like, you know what? I'm kind of burned out being the con chairman. Uh, I'm ready to give it up. I hope somebody else will step up to the plate. And they were talking about the issues we were having with the university, not letting us schedule, not letting us put it on the calendar far enough ahead of time to actually organize it. And my husband heard this and he actually took it upon himself. He went out into the CU community to all the hotels, found out what space was available, how much space, how much would it cost, what kind of discounts, what kind of food, that kind of thing. And he came back to Alan and the other guys and he said, here's this and here's how we could do it and we can move it here. And the guys looked at him and said, and Alan said, well, Don, you came up with the plan, take it and run. And that's how my husband became con chairman 27 years ago. So we started running it then at one of the local hotels. And we were, were at that hotel quite a long time and we had a great relationship with them. And the reason we became a nonprofit was once we were no longer a university association, we were no longer protected by the university's insurance policies. And most of us are homeowners and we have personal assets that we are entrusted with for our, our families. And Don said, you know, if something happened at the convention, if X happened, we could be sued and lose our house. So let's form a nonprofit corporation and we get liability insurance for the, corp the convention every year to protect ourselves. And we have created a set of bylaws and we have the not, we are on file with the secretary of state of the state of Illinois, that we're a nonprofit corporation for the purpose of furthering tabletop gaming in East central Illinois. And that is our purpose of our convention. And so that's why we became a nonprofit was to give us some sort of barrier to protect our personal assets so that they wouldn't be seized if something happened with the convention. No, that, that makes perfect sense and, and a very smart way to go. So what I was surprised, Royce and Susan, when I was at the con, it's it's in a university town. And I didn't feel like I had a lot of university folk at the con. I felt like, is there not a game club on campus that that would be here running things or at least attending? I didn't feel like there was a university presence. Was I mistaken? So uh, no, you're really not mistaken. It's it's an interesting sort of dynamic. There really isn't that big of a gaming presence, at least not organized, on the uh, on the U of I campus. Unfortunately, we do put up some flyers around campus. I know Al goes out there occasionally and does it. Uh, some of our a lot of our staff member are former alumni and staff from the camp from the U of I, so they're doing current. No, current as well. Yes, we uh, we have a couple who are still actively active professors at the U of I. So there is some promotion going on, but it's not. I don't know if it's a if it's an image thing where people just don't quite know what we are because we are such a closely knit sort of small town feel kind of con, or if it's just there's not that much interest in it from the university itself or the students on campus. We do occasionally get some people from campus who come out. It's also kind of a weird time of the year for a lot of university students with it being, you know, right after classes have started back for, you know, the first month. And so it's probably a mixture of things. I've never really looked into it that deeply as to why, but it just, it's not for lack of trying. It just seems like there's not that much interest in us from the, from the campus, you know, the students and the staff there. The funny thing is, we if you look at, if you actually talk to most of the con attendees, 
I would say probably at least 50% are alumni of the U of I or staff or both. I mean, it, it's, it's interesting. My husband and years ago, we had students who were part of our structure and they heavily advertised on campus. They would set up the booth on the campus when the organizations had the booths out on the, the quad. And it seems like most of the gaming on campus is like dorm focus, like there's a group that will meet in one dorm, there's a group that'll meet in another dorm, and they all have their own little isolated cliques that meet. So it's not an inclusive group like you would run into, like with some organizations, like it's from all over campus. These are all little individual groups that don't really intermingle that are on campus currently, from what I understand. Okay, that that's fair enough. And to answer your earlier question about, you know, it's not we're going to go until you guys are done. Okay. It doesn't have to just be an hour. Whenever you guys say, we're done talking. Okay. Oh, I'll keep answering questions. I think questions you're fine with Royce and I, we questions. don't quit talking. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite true. Uh, so what are the, how, how are you going to grow? How are you going to, do you want to grow <laughs> Winter War? That's a, that's a, like, that is very much a tricky question. The answer is, would we like to see more people playing games at our convention, yes. Would we like to see our convention continue to or or to grow at all? That's tricky. Right now, we're kind of in that sweet spot where most of the days and times of the uh, game slots and con are full of people playing, and mm-hmm. we literally can't fit any more people in. All you know, the games are sold out, and we've got every table occupied. There are some portions of the con where, you know, we have some uh, quite a bit of empty space. Again, that goes back to that Friday afternoon, Sunday afternoon kind of time of the con where people just haven't gotten off work yet or they're trying to get home. It would be really hard for us to grow. Venue-wise, mm-hmm. is very difficult. There's not a really good uh, venue in Champaign-Urbana that would handle us getting any bigger than we currently are unless we got super massive super quickly. And then mm-hmm. at that point, we lose that we lose that that small con feel, that personal feel that you uh-huh. were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. And we just well, so for us to grow and go to one of those bigger venues, we would have to raise prices. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That, that was the other part is, you know, it becomes more expensive to run a bigger con. So it does. Like, so we'd love to see more people playing games. Yes. Can we handle that size of that, you know, that amount of growth that some of the other cons have seen over the last couple of years, what with the, you know, the, the last five year boom in gaming that we've seen, we really just don't have the capacity or the budget for it without taking away one of the things that we feel is key to our con, which is that, you know, it's easy to get into. We're very accessible. We're very friendly. I think if we got any bigger, we'd start losing some of those aspects and then we'd start losing the other aspects. And at that point, we're not winter war anymore. We have a kind of con that we run that's been the way the con has been run for 47 years. It's worked. People have fun. People enjoy coming. You know, you always have the people who didn't like the con because it didn't match what they wanted the con to be. There are other cons out there like the cons they want to go to. It's not that we say don't come to our con, but our con is the way our con is. We're not going to change our con significantly to make other people happy if it's going to turn off the 400 people who currently come. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's one of, it's, again, we've got a certain kind of niche we fill. And there are you other do. cons that no. fill other niches. So what do you guys, what have you done to make sure that 
there's going to be another 47 years. That's part of the nonprofit and part of how we have the organization and the bylaws structured to make mm-hmm. sure that there's a consistent leadership of the con, um, consistent rules on how things are done, consistent finances. Mm-hmm. Royce? Yeah, and it just comes down to ensuring that we're not, everybody who is a member of the convention staff and directors are friends. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we have made sure of over the years is that we are very, very diligent about who we bring into that very small, you know, that that small group of people that, that run this thing. Uh, we've seen far too many cons over the years kind of fall apart due to, you know, having a board of directors who get to infighting or somebody wants to, you know, hey, I want to be in charge or I think this should be better or I'm going to try and run this my way and you know, we're, we avoid that by making sure that the people that we bring in are people who are doing it because they want to see the convention continue and not because they want to, uh, I mean, for lack of a better word, pad their own ego or, or force their own kind of convention. It's, you know, I like how Winter Wars run. Uh, we might make some changes here or there, but we're going to continue Winter War. Like That's the attitude that we try to, you know, people who have been helping out on the sidelines or something like that, who, who are invested in the convention and making it better, not just trying to, to get their foot in the door for personal reasons. Mm-hmm. I mean, a couple of the older people on the board that helped form the first winter war several years ago, one of them told me, he said, you know, when we started this, we were happy to have a hundred. And when we hit 200, we thought we were really big. And I never saw the con going past 200. Don started running the con. Next thing you know, we're at 400. And I would never have believed Winter War got to be 400 people. And it was just, they were kind of amazed. And the fact that Don intentionally kept Winter War the way they had envisioned their vision when they started the thing, that he's staying true to what they created Winter War to be a gaming convention. That's great. I just, I had noticed that when I attended, it it's, you could tell it was a con that had been going for 47 years. You could tell that there were people, the people running it had been doing it for a significant amount of time. What I didn't see, and no disrespect, was I didn't see a lot of young people amongst those organizers. There were a few then you probably weren't looking at the age of the young men sitting with me at the desk. No, um, no, no. I, I know. Like I said, I saw some, but it just felt like what's going to happen in, in 20 years. Who's going to run the con? Cody, Michael, and Royce. There you go. Royce I hope the three of you up for it. <laughs> well, see, okay. Let me put it this way. The three oldest yeah. gentlemen on the board are in their late sixties and early seventies. And actually one of them will be 80 this year. Mm -hmm. I'm 55. Paul and I and several other of the members of the board are in the 40s to 50s range. Then you drop down to the 30s where Royce is probably the oldest of our young group. And my son and my quote unquote adopted son, uh, my son's best friend, are in their late 20s, early 30s. So there Mm -hmm. is a generational thing going there. And that's okay. that's the way it works. And again, it's a small group. We don't have a huge staff for running a 400 person mm-hmm. con. We do it with a staff of 11 people. Wow. Because we all work wow. together. We're not doing it for our ego. We're not doing mm-hmm. it for our glory. And it's my con. It's we're doing it because we want winter war to be the best winter war winter war can be. No, I think that's great. And that's why I was like, I want to make sure it still goes in into the future. And I was like, Who's who's going to do that? 
and you've you've told me three people are ready to go and <laughs> i'm going to believe that and i'm going to be happy and i'll be there in the next 47 years too um, I mean, it was it, it's kind of a a morbid sad joke but when my son was younger and my husband was still alive people would tease don that he had to run the convention until michael was old enough to take it over and don's like this isn't a despot thing this isn't a kingdom where i pass it on to my son you know mm -hmm. but there were people who truly believed that that was the way don stepped in you know don was in his 20s when he stepped in and took over the con for alan and you know it's one of those things of we will pass it on to the younger guys when some of us are too old to do what we do so mm -hmm. good no I, I think it's great i think a lot of people don't don't think of that succession planning of making sure that hey are, do we have an, another do we have a group behind us ready to go and and take over for us you know because uh, you know 47 years is a long time and if you're going to do you know another 20 30 40 47 i think i think a con has to be prepared for that you especially a con of this size i mean 11 people that's not a lot of people when you look at like Gen Con, which is actually a, a a giant corporation company out in Seattle that puts that convention on, brings in tons of people to work it, has a staff of hundreds for that con. I will tell you, if Winter War ever started to get to be that big, I'd probably go, okay, it's gotten too big for me to even work anymore. I, I like the small feel. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I don't want to work at a con that's 10,000 people. Mm -hmm. That just would be overwhelming. The number of people so for me yeah what do you guys wish you could bring to winter war i think this will be my my ending we're gonna go into a an ending here so i just want to what, what do you wish you could bring to winter war honestly uh, if i could bring anything to winter war it would be more of the younger gamers uh, we do have some kids that come in but not nearly as many as i think i would see at winter war mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think there's any one particular game system or group or organization or company or anything that I, I think would really improve Winter War to a great extent. But I do wish, you know, I'd like to see more of the, you know, the the younger people coming in and playing the, uh, uh, like I said, we have uh, one of the older average ages of attendees of just about any kind I've ever attended. And, you know, I'd really, I really think that in order to promote, at least in the area that we're in, the Champaign-Urbana area, the you know the the reemergence i guess you could say of of the younger gamers coming in and learning new things and working uh you know to to become those gms like we were talking about earlier and to become that next generation of gamers and you know really continue gaming as a whole i'd love to see a lot more of that being uh you know coming into the convention mm -hmm. susan i have to go with royce i mean it'd be nice you mentioned the u of i earlier it would have been nice to have had more to been able to have over the years get a consistent student presence. I think sometimes people have expectations and when the the what they see doesn't meet the expectation instead of working within the expectations or working within the the current parameters, they just say, "Well, fine, we'll just go do our own thing." And that's that's a sad thing about society nowadays. I would love to see young gamers. The one thing I've always thought was fun was when I first started attending Winter War, it was mainly adults older people and mm -hmm. as when once we moved off campus we saw a lot more families coming in 
people like, you know, Royce and I mentioned earlier, kids who were originally coming as 10 year olds now are coming as adults with their children, or they'll be bringing their children a few years because their children are young yet. So it's kind of neat to see the families coming in and having fun for the weekend together. I mean, let's be blunt, gaming 30 years ago was male dominated. There wasn't a lot mm -hmm. of females in gaming. And over the last 30 years, there's been more and more women getting involved in gaming and not just women and men, but then bringing children into the gaming too. It's a family situation. And so it's kind of fun to see that generational thing happening. This year, we had three generations there together, grandpa, son, and grandson play. So it's kind of cool to see that kind of stuff. I'm happy. I just wish people would give us a chance. And before they start telling us what we're doing wrong, experience Winter War. I can't tell you the number of times we have somebody who's never attended Winter War, but tells how we're doing it all wrong without <laughs> ever having experienced Winter War. You got to thank them for their help. <laughs> and I do. I say, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate your comments. The con is what the con is. You mm -hmm. know, we appreciate your comments, but you know, if this isn't the kind of con you like and you like that kind of con, I can point out a couple of three other cons that are run that way, you know, that you might like better. So, mm -hmm. no, like I said, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I thought it was great uh, to experience it and kind of really watch the people because I, I picked up on a lot of things that I found just everybody knows everybody. Like, it's weird. <laughs> like, I'm not are a you con, coming back with next a lot year? of people. Uh, we most likely will. Yeah. A friend took me out there for it. We'll probably uh, come back uh, next year. Next year, I'll probably play. There was a miniature game that I was fascinated by. And when I went back to watch it a little closer, they had wrapped up. I don't know what oh. happened, but it was Which called Gasland. Oh, yeah. It was yeah. Gasland. It was with little, little like uh, Hot Wheel cars. It was like with little miniatures of cars. And it looked like some Mad Max kind of a post-apocalyptic situation yeah, where yeah. the cars who had guns. And, and I was like, this sounds fantastic. I'm going to go back and really sit and watch them play. When I went back, they had already wrapped up. And I was like, well, darn, I'll get it next year. So <laughs> if, if it's the game I'm thinking of, that gentleman runs something like that every year. Okay. Good. Along See, those lines. <laughs> And before I uh, before we we wrap up, I wanted uh, to give Royce a chance. I know you've mentioned it a couple times throughout the evening. Game Holcon. Oh right, uh, yeah. So I am also on the board of directors. Game Holcon out of Madison, Wisconsin. We are a much different sort of gaming convention than Winter War is. It's a much more along the lines of uh, Gen Con, but smaller. Last year we ran about five thousand attendees over a course of four days. Uh, we have organizations like Paizo, uh, Wizards of the Coast, True Dungeon, uh, Shadowrun Missions. Uh, you know, lots of we've got a lot of uh, Call of Cthulhu stuff coming up this year with uh, U2 Can Cthulhu and a couple of uh, I think it's Novus Ordus or something. That organization is coming and running a bunch of games for us, as well as Chaosium actually being an official presence at our con this year for the oh, wow. first time. Mm. So uh, yeah, we're uh, we're just a different sort of gaming convention. We're far more of the, what one would call the big style gaming convention up mm -hmm. here in Madison, Wisconsin. Because as opposed as it's also, it's going to run games as well. Obviously it's a gaming mm -hmm. convention, but you guys at GameholeCon will actually have workshop seminars and the other things that we customarily see at the larger cons that aren't right. as hyper-focused as like winter war gaming convention is. 
Exactly. But it's still focused on gaming. We mm-hmm. don't have much in the way of, like, you know, when, uh, Gen Con has things like their anime panels and cosplay mm-hmm. and things like that. We really don't have any of that at Game Hole Con. Uh, mm-hmm. We are still very much focused on gaming and gaming culture. But yeah, we do still we do have you know panels and seminars, and we have audience streaming games where you can actually come and watch a game be streamed live over Twitch in person, which oh. is kind of a strange thing to to say. But uh, <laughs> we we sell out every year. We have you know streaming games, and that room is packed, having people watch other people play Dungeons and Dragons. So yeah, we've uh, we're much we're we're a bit of a different style con than uh, than Winter War, yeah. And that takes place in November. Yep, we are. Well, this year we're the. Yep, we're the first full weekend in November in Madison. This year, Mm -hmm. we are looking at moving a little bit further up in the year into late October uh, Mm -hmm. in upcoming years, just because the weather is always so unpredictable Mm -hmm. around Mm -hmm. that time of year in this area. So that's uh, that's what we're doing. Don't let Royce be too modest. How long has Game Hole Con been running, Royce? Uh, We just had our seventh year this past year. They're already up to five thousand people. Wow. I mean, they they went they went gangbusters. I think it's just phenomenal that they were able to go from small to big without really blinking. You know. Uh, yeah, it's been a roller coaster ride from an organizational standpoint. So, if you ever want to talk about a very very different style of organizing a con than Winter War, let me know, and we can do a whole episode just on the challenges that come with scaling a con to that size. I mean, we we could definitely do that. Maybe a little closer to when that's gonna uh, happen, and see if we can help drive some people. Uh, that's a, to it, it. that's up to you. I'm not trying to drive the content. <laughs> I'm just putting that out there. If it's something that, like, if people find this yeah. podcast interesting, then you know, mm-hmm. if you want to continue it, that's fine. <laughs> Be surprised. People will sit and listen to me recap our fantasy football league. It's amazing. And I'm gonna tell. <laughs> I'm going to toot a horn for Royce a little bit here. Hmm. When Royce got involved with our gaming convention 15 years ago, he showed up because he was meeting someone there he had met online through gaming to to meet them face-to-face and come to our con. And the next thing he knew, Don was talking about wanting a a website, online registration system, and Royce designed it from the ground up for us. And having Gamehole Con has helped him develop the, the whole registration system and website designed for a game convention for small and big. So I have to toot Royce's horn here because he's done a phenomenal job running our websites for us. That's that's wonderful, Royce. You're you're doing some good work, it seems, both at both ends of the spectrum on cons. Uh, I do what I can. <laughs> uh, is there anything else you guys want to talk about, mention, plug, say, before we, we wrap up? Is there any questions that we didn't answer yours so far? No, we've touched on all of them. Not, I mean, I didn't like literally read each question into it, but we did touch <laughs> on each one. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Anything it's else? It's been fun. I appreciate you Good. asking us and inviting us to talk about Winter War. It's something near and dear to my heart. Actually, uh, I have to confess, Winter War is really the only gaming convention I go to every year because of my my schedule, my private life. So I haven't yet made it to Game Holcom because of an organization I belong to when Game Hole Con runs is right about the time we're doing the changeover of officers and stuff. So I usually can't go that weekend. So it'll be interesting to see when he moves it in October, whether I can go or not. But I'm, I'm for the people who say I've never done a gaming convention, I don't know if I would feel comfortable 
Winter War or a convention in your area who's small like Winter War is one of the best things to do for a start small. Make sure you play with at least one other person you know at the table if you're uncomfortable playing with strangers. I will admit I'm someone I'm uncomfortable playing role-playing games with strangers. I'll sit down and play a board game with strangers and maybe a, um, I haven't really experimented with miniatures too much. I actually tried LARP a couple of times when we first had LARP at Winter War. That was interesting to say the least. Um, <laughs> it was a Vampire the Masquerade LARP even better. So, Oh, <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> I've heard horror so, stories there too. You know, um, it, but if you're, but it, I know a lot of people out there who like to game, but they're not sure about the whole gaming with strangers or going to where there's a whole bunch mm -hmm. of people gaming. And do what you did this year, Jupiter. Go watch, hang out, talk to people, see what's going on. And you'll find out that people are really friendly if you start asking about the game that they're playing or running or the games they really like. You'll find out the cool games to to sit in on that, that people are willing to work with somebody who's never played the game before. Maurice, anything to add? Nope. Uh, we think we've pretty much covered anything I would want to talk about. Okay. Again, I, I thank you guys so much for taking the time out of your schedules to, to talk about this. I think it's um, interesting to see the other side of what it goes through as far as organization, setting up, things you're dealing with, things you even have to think about, choices you have to make. Like I said, I, I spent my time at Winter War kind of watching and observing and, and trying to figure out why were these choices made. And I, you guys have definitely cleared up a lot of that, those questions that I had. So again, thank you very much. And I'm going to say goodbye to everybody listening. And if you have any questions, please put them in the uh, Discord, the Without a Net Discord in the uh, Out of Character channels and we'll get those questions to Susan or Royce if if we need them to answer them but if you guys just want to have a discussion please more than welcome to to roll those questions around and discuss it with other listeners and if Royce and and Susan decide to stay in the server obviously they'll be there to help answer any questions or interact with any of you that have them again thanks and i will see you all next time Thanks, uh, Thank thanks for having us on, Jupiter.